Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beater, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Full Moon Friday the 13th, and I hope all of you are ready for another awesome Greyhounds Make Great Pets. We've got oodles of things to share with you today, so without further babbling from me, I'm going to turn it over to Rory and TJ. Hey, Kathy, how we doing? We're doing good, Rory. How are you? Great, and I know TJ's with us today. TJ, how we doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing good. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. I think I'm um, getting some information in my earpiece here. Um, there is some exciting information uh, on the Greyhound to make great pet news desk. So with, without uh, further ado, we're going to cut on over now to the Greyhound's uh, news desk. Kathy, take it away. Why, thank you, Rory. We have just heard that Paul Ruvier has been cited running through Boston yelling, the Irish greyhounds are here, the Irish greyhounds are here, which is pretty amazing as I have yet to know a greyhound who could actually talk. However, we do have an update on the recently arrived Irish greyhounds in the U.S. thanks to the hard work and joint effort of the Irish Retired Greyhound Trust, Greyhound Pets of America, and Flight. And they have all worked together for GPA's Irish Greyhounds to America program. And now back to you, Rory, to tell us more and to bring on our guest. This is uh, very exciting. I know um, we did a show, what, probably a couple of months ago on the Irish Greyhounds, and we did mention that we were going to be working to bring the Irish Greyhounds over to the United States, and our first batch did arrive um, this Wednesday. Week. Yeah, Wednesday. You know, been a long week. I forget what day it is. Uh, <laughs> I know, Tanya. Did you have any comments you wanted to uh, mention on this before we bring in Denise? Well, I'm very excited about this. Over the course of uh, my two decades plus, I've had the pleasure of adopting actually three greyhounds uh, that have some Irish blood in them. Uh, two actually raced in Ireland, so um, and, and were brought over uh, to race here in the United States. And um, there, there are some slight differences physically that I can see about in their face, their eyes a little bit, and maybe, maybe our, our other guest today, Dennis McKeon, would be able to help us explain that maybe a little bit more. But um, I'm really excited to know that the Irish Greyhounds are, are coming over and. It's actually going to help the um, the shortage that we we seem to be encountering here in in the United States, where exactly. we have uh, more applications for greyhounds as pets than we do retiring greyhounds. Right. And before we bring our guest Denise, I just want to say a big thank you to again to the Greyhound Irish Trust um, flight, and I also want to give a big thank you to. All the officers, GPA national officers, Tanya, the whole gang, you guys have been uh, 100% behind this. And I can't thank you guys enough for uh, pulling this off and really appreciate that. And now we'd like to bring in our guest from GPA Massachusetts, Denise. Denise, how are we doing? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? 
Oh, great. Why don't you, why don't you kind of tell us about a uh, little bit about your day Wednesday and uh, the, dog, the greyhounds you have there in your possession? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so this was our first time receiving dogs via cargo. We have received a few Irish greyhounds working with flight using a um, flight patron in the past. This was a little different. Um, you know, first time for everything. There were a few uh, bumps in the road, but other than that, it went really smoothly. We um, arrived at Logan in Boston right on time as the plane landed, and then we just waited for the dogs to be unloaded. We received their paperwork, cleared them through customs. All the dogs were happy, tails wagging. Um, we loaded them up, and we drove them back to our adoption kennel where you know they'll go through our quarantine um, and see the vet. And But other than that, uh, we couldn't be happier. Such great dogs. Really exciting. And uh, just so that our listeners know, this was our, our first batch. Um, we will have a lot more coming, but we are... We are starting off um, slowly, just because, like as Denise mentioned, there you know a few bumps and all that. And our our key goal is to do right by the dog. So we want to make sure we're implementing a good program and that the, the dogs are safe as possible. Because our goal is that these greyhounds get a loving home. Um, I would like for Denise. Um, hi, Denise. Nice to speak hi. with you. Actually, again. <laughs> yes, you too. Um, you mentioned the quarantine that the dogs had to go through, and I was wondering if you could tell the people a little bit about that and, and which side of the pond did that originate on, on um, the, the Irish side, on your side, and, and a little bit more about the, the quarantine procedure. Sure. So Massachusetts has its own laws about uh, dogs coming into the state. So even when we receive retired racers from Florida, they go through the same quarantine. So we have our own quarantine isolation room that the dogs go into for a minimum of 48 hey, I'm hours. I'm on the radio now. I told you I was going to be on the radio. Yeah, we are. You can come in, but you've got to be quiet. <laughs> and, and then they have to be checked by our vet just to clear them. There is also um, a procedure in Ireland before the dogs can leave, and that's a 30-day um, quarantine that they must go through after they have their rabies vaccination. Well, I, I'm well, thank just you, Denise. That, so... that is like an extra layer, I believe, of, of protection that I know there's a lot of concerns going around the country now about, you know, dogs being imported. And I wanted people to understand that these retired racing greyhounds from Ireland have the same strict guidelines that, that we do here in the United States. And with what you, you're doing in Massachusetts, it, it's even an extra added protection to it. So thank you very much for explaining that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. M- much appreciated. And please pass along to the whole GPA Massachusetts team my deepest appreciation for all the hard work you guys have done over the years and for stepping forward and uh, volunteering to be one of the the kickoff groups on this program. I'm looking forward to the, you know, I'm hoping soon we'll be talking about our 1,000th uh, Irish Greyhound coming into the United States, and this is just really exciting. So thank you for everything yeah. you do for our hounds. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, we would like to extend our thanks to, you know, GPA National as well for all of your support through all of this. 
Right. And I do just want to mention, um, I'm not going to say the cost, but the way the kind of the program is working right now, GPA is footing a third of the bill. The group is a third. And then uh, uh, Greyhound Irish Trust is a third. If you want to help out with this program, because there are hundreds, if not uh, thousands of Greyhounds that we can get brought over here, you can help this program out by making a donation to Greyhound Pets of America. You can either find us a donation button on on uh, Facebook uh, and or our website at greyhoundpets.org. I also do want to mention that I know um, Tanya has received some and I've, I've been inundated with a lot of people like, we want to be involved in this, we want to be involved in this. First of all, I do want to say we are starting off slow so that we make sure we cut, that we take care of the bumps that are going to be in the road and we have a good process in place and good procedures. Um, the other thing is, we're going to be picky about who we're going to be involved with. We do have uh, a need to protect our uh, not only our own, but our partner's image. So the public can be comfortable donating to us, working with us, and they can trust us. And I'm just going to say this right now, folks. Organizations, people who are involved with people that may be on the sex offenders list, you're not going to be involved. You're not, that person is not somebody that is going to create trust with the public. So this October, you have a choice. Support somebody who's a convicted child molester or support the hounds. That's all I have to say about that. And again, Denise, oh. do thank you for joining us today. Thank you. But, and looking forward to hearing much more from you and your group. And we hope that um, we'll be seeing some pictures posted soon on the GPA Massachusetts website so we can meet um, our, our new members of uh, Greyhound Pets of America from Ireland. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank well, you. listen, I'm, I'm sure you've got, got a lot to do, and we thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. And uh, we're, like Rory said, we're all looking to, to hear more as, as their stories and their adventures uh, in America take, take place. So right. I, I think uh, you enjoy your is... weekend, Denise, and tell Matt we said hi. Yeah. I will. And thank I think, you so much. Thank you. And I do thank think you, the Denise. next batch... Next batch is coming to Atlanta, so we will be hearing probably in the next couple of weeks about some more great Irish Greyhounds. Now, Kathy, today's cool. show is a little bit um, answering some uh, fan mail. I do believe you have a part of it to read, and then we will bring on Dennis McKeon to help address some of the questions this fan had about Greyhounds and Greyhound racing. Yeah, um, we had a, a really, really nice fan letter uh, within the last month, and it was Someone who it not new new to the greyhound adoption and greyhound racing world, but you know a new adopter who's both you know very involved with adoption and very interested in racing and the history and how her dogs got to become great pets. And she had visited um, the track in Iowa and met a lot of the people there, saw the races, saw you know the activity, and and was. You know, a little, um, not miffed, but was not understanding of everything she was seeing. And um, it was really nice to hear that she found our program and our shows have been very helpful to, you know, um, updating her knowledge. And especially when 
cool lead-in here is coming up. Our next guest, Dennis McKeon, who does know pretty much everything about everything, uh, comes on and, and <laughs> shares his wisdom with us. So rather than us try to get through all of these really cool questions, now for us they may seem a little naive because between the four of us we probably already know the answer, but for new people coming in to the Greyhound community and the Greyhound racing world, they really don't know. So Dennis is going to help us answer some of these questions. And um, again, Dennis, welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. We, we're going to get you a little chair with your name on it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Kathy. Thank you. Uh, Rory, hi. TJ, hi. I want to say congratulations, hi. first of all, for bringing over those dogs from Ireland. And uh to Kathy and Denise and Matt at GPA Mass, and to the people in Ireland who made that happen, and to our friend John Parker, who always believed it could. So that's out of the Dennis, way Dennis, since we are starting out thing. the show with a, a, a little bit about the Irish Greyhounds, I did sort of pose something uh, when I was speaking to Denise. I don't know if you've heard it or not. Um, I have had uh, three Irish Greyhounds um, two that actually raced in Ireland and then came over to the United States. And I've noticed a subtle difference in, in like, some of the physical features, particularly around the face. Have, have, have you ever, do you, do you understand or maybe know anything yeah. about that? Or Yeah, well, greyhounds from Ireland always had wider skulls than uh, greyhounds uh, in America, Typically, you know, and uh, a lot of times you could just tell right away the dog was from Ireland or was sired or was mm-hmm. or was out of an Irish dam because of the wide skull. And uh, Irish dogs in the in the past, I'm not so sure that's the truth today. But in the past, they were they weren't as big as American dogs, and, and they certainly weren't as rangy. Most of them, American dogs, you know, are bred more for distance racing here and. Uh, Irish dogs who were bred more for sprinting. They could be uh, more compact, more nimble, more quick dog. You know, not always. Well, I, I certainly generally. love to hear that. You've, you've, you've given, you've educated me, and I, I love learning something every day about greyhounds everywhere. So, and you are exactly right. What I had noticed was definitely the facial features. Um, yeah, and, and now and I know why. Oh, the coats are different, too. You know, the coats are way different. And a lot of Irish dogs are a lot woollier and a lot thicker because of the weather. And that, you know, is something anybody who adopts an Irish greyhound needs to know that they do not do well with the humidity and the heat that we have here because they're not used to that. They don't have that in Ireland. Correct. They have uh, much more temperate uh, summers than we have, and you can't allow them to get overheated or overstressed. And another thing different about Irish greyhounds is that most of them are used to having a breakfast. In Ireland, the main meal is generally fed in the afternoon, and they get a breakfast of, like, cornflakes or bran flakes and a couple of eggs on it, maybe some buttermilk on it, all mixed up, and... uh, some rough toast may be thrown in there instead of flakes, but uh, they're used to eating a breakfast. So when we would get them from Ireland, that was something we had to provide for because in the morning they'd be looking to eat. And back in the day, before matinee racing became the norm, uh, we would feed in the afternoons, not in the mornings. 
And there was a reason for that so that the dogs wouldn't be, when you were working with the dogs, grooming them, checking them over for injuries, rehabbing them, working them out, you know, taking them to the track for morning schooling or sprinting them, whatever you had to do with them, you don't want them thinking about eating. So you did that, you fed in the afternoon, then afternoon they'd be looking to eat around four, three or four o'clock and during the day, in the morning, when you'd be working with them, they wouldn't be looking to eat. They wouldn't be so distracted. Pretty wow. brilliant, huh? And yeah, but, well, you're, you're doing a really good job of educating here. I, I, I did not know that they actually got, like, real breakfast. I would have thought about breakfast being something like a, a typical dog meal, but maybe a smaller portion. But you, you're speaking of a true breakfast here. <laughs> yeah, so, it's um, and, and all. That's very interesting. The would be Irish dogs. <laughs> that, 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 that is very interesting, and you also brought up a good point that that we've been bringing Irish dogs over for a very long time. They were just currently racing at the time to continue their careers over here. Correct, and and you know Irish sires have come over here, and Irish dams have come over here and done very well. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, but uh, and. Uh, it's good that we're giving them a hand because there's a need there for adopters, and if we can fill that need over here where we need greyhounds, that seems to work out pretty well. Yeah, it's going to. And, you know, Tanya, thank you for bringing this up because now I th- – and, Dennis, for your information, because I think we're going to need to do a future show here in the very soon of So You Want to Adopt an Irish Greyhound because, like, like Tanya, TJ, I've adopted over the years. I've had a few uh, Irish greyhounds in my house, but they had already been at a track here in the United States. So uh, by the time it got to my house, it had adjusted to life in the United States, whereas these greyhounds are coming straight from life in Ireland and will uh, be accustomed to what goes on at a United States track. That's true, and uh, they're they're not even going to get to do that, are they? I mean, they're going right to the kennel at uh, in G- GPA Mass, and then they'll go right into someone's home. Yeah, I, I can see some potential adopters waking up in the morning, and there's a note saying, uh, "Eggs Benedict, orange juice, and coffee, please." <laughs> um, I think it would be probably more like bangers and mash and uh, tomatoes. Okay, well, <laughs> and all right. and bran, you know. Uh, so yeah, shall we some... get to our, our fan mail, or do we have some more to touch on about the Irish Greyhounds before we do? Well, I think, well, I think um, I'm going to we... do a piece on that. I, I think I'll do a, I think a, you a, an essay on that. Well, you yeah. gave, you've given me yeah. good food for thought. Now yeah. that it's an actual fait accompli and we're going to have a steady stream of them coming in, uh, I think I'll work something up. Get, yeah, but get yeah, your, be your much appreciated. Yeah, and... thank you. Thank you, Tanya, TJ, for kicking this off because, yeah, this is something important. See, that's why we're starting this off slow because we want to make sure we, uh, you know, we get the, all the information we need to get out to our potential adopters for the Irish Greyhounds and also do this right. So, again, thank you both for uh, lighting a fire on this, and uh, we'll get this one done. Sounds good. So we have well, questions from uh, uh we have fan mail. Yes, we yes. do. Um, well, I'll kick it off with the first one, and then we can all take turns or, or however, whoever wants to chime in. Um, now, probably um, one of the most of uh, the questions that I found kind of interesting um, was the fact, and again, it seems very simple to us, but to those who don't know and, and aren't 
well-versed in this? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is. Do trainers not necessarily live in the area of a track where the dogs they train live? Uh, Her example was she was always under the assumption that, um, you know, the, the I, I guess she must have thought that there was a, a little um, trainer compound adjacent to every track where everybody lived, like a little associ- a homeowner's association for, for trainers. But when she was at the track and she was talking to, you know, a lot of the people there, she learned that, yeah, some of these people, you know, it's like a, it, it is a job. You do not live right on site. You can live an hour or more away. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, uh, unfortunately, there aren't any accommodations adjacent to the kennels for the trainers because I would have loved that. That would have been perfect for me. But, uh, no, they, uh, they live just like anybody else does, and it's their preference as to whether they want to be close by or they want to live. And a lot of people who have farms where they raise the dogs live on their farm with the dogs, and they may have to commute an hour to the track or more. Uh, the, uh, the, the most of the trainers who, you know, live in the town where or nearby the town where the track is or the city where the track is, and uh, you want to be close ideally because, you know, you've got to go back and forth to the kennel a million times, and if something, you know, you forget to do something, and you need, oh, I forgot to do such and such a thing, you, you better, it's, better for you if you're close by. I mean, I always preferred to be within five minutes or ten minutes of the kennel if I could. And um, I think that is probably more the norm for the trainers, not necessarily the owners or the breeder owners. But I think uh, they live near the track. But as far as I know, there are no tracks that have apartments attached to the kennels. Right. Well, just with that, not not all tracks have kennels on site like um when phoenix greyhound park was open i used to hear people all the time say well where are the kennels where are the kennels we can't find the kennels the dogs were actually trucked in from the various farms here in arizona and they would check in every evening and then at the end of the night they would go back to the farm that's right yeah and i would also like to to add that the greyhounds are not left alone um at, at the tracks uh, there, there are security guards that the, that are stationed there. Or, in particular, I can speak personally, and Dennis can sort of help me out with this. At Derby Lane in St. Petersburg, the um, the guard station is there before you can get into the compound, and you do not get into the compound past that guard unless you are licensed by the state um, and and are on a kennel roster. So you have an entire procedure that you have to go through in order to gain access to the compound. And the guard is constantly on, on duty looking and observing at the kennel, inside the kennel compound while they are there. And that is 24-7. So um, I didn't want anyone to be left with the impression that the dogs are just put in, in, in buildings and, and left with no one keeping a watchful eye. That is definitely not the case that, that I've ever had any experience with. Dennis, do you have something maybe that you could add to that? Yeah, that's the way, that's the way it is at every track in New England. That's the way it was at every track in New England where I worked. You know, there were, you didn't just, I mean, they're always afraid of people going in and tampering with the dogs. You know, I mean, that's a big thing. The, 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 uh, the integrity of the sport 
demands that you have some kind of security uh, because you can't have people uh, coming into the kennel or, you know, even people with, with trainers who uh, may, you know, slip the dog a Mickey. That's well, what the fear is. I, I, don't, I don't know how often anything like that has ever happened, but I would guess not too often. But, I mean, it, there's a, definitely a, a lot of security uh, concerns, not only for the people who might steal a dog. I mean, we don't have dogs stolen in America a lot, but, you know, it happens in Ireland for some reason. Really good dogs get stolen. Really impressive race dogs. And, uh, but, but, you know, there's a myriad of reasons, you know, not only for the safety of the dogs, but for the security and for the reputation and integrity of the competition. That and now we have to worry about uh, some of the animal rights extremist groups trying to gain access right. into compounds, which were thwarted yeah. uh, in Florida. There was at least one experience um, with that. So um, that's the safety and security of those dogs are of utmost importance. Exactly. And I know um, you, you bring up this uh, you know, the, there's safety and security. that the animal rights extremists won't do. Now, I know um, here in Arizona, the, uh, the um, like Tucson Greyhound Park did have kennels. Um, Phoenix Greyhound Park did not. But the farms, and even the farms had this requirement. There was every facility where the dogs were housed, the greyhounds were housed, had um, smoke detectors. Um, out here in Arizona had um, detectors to, um, for the heat and humidity. Um, and if it went over a certain amount of heat and humidity, immediately the, you know, the a call was made out or at the track, the security guard was immediately notified that there was a problem in one of the kennels. So, yeah, they they do look out for the safety and welfare of these animals. It's it's not like what you may think that they're not. Well, I mean, it only definitely climate controlled in, in Florida as well. You have like a half a million dollars worth of dogs there. I mean, you have to take care of them. You have to be concerned about every little aspect of their lives. Exactly. I mean, there, there is a lot put into just the welfare and the security of these animals. And I did just want to point out, just to show the little difference for those who, um, on the horse side, most of the horse stables on the back side of the track will have a room that a groomer will be staying at and can stay in overnight. Uh, so I just wanted to point out that on the horse side, they do, will be somebody that is there at night especially when you're talking, it's, it's a much bigger facility and a little harder for the a security guard to uh, keep an eye on when you're talking about acres and acres and acres of stables with horses. Right, right, yes, you're quite expansive. And I, I don't yeah. want anybody to get the wrong idea and think that as, as a trainer, you don't spend many nights in the kennel. <laughs> you do. <laughs> There's all, there are many nights when it's just too late, you just crash in the kennel. It's just, uh, you don't get done till one thirty, and it's, the road of least resistance is just to fall asleep there and wake up with the dogs. Right. And that is especially well, with, true if there's inclement weather with the hurricanes and everything like that. The, the, the trainers absolutely. don't just go home to protect their homes and families. They stay in the kennels with the dogs. And exactly. when it was snowing, many times you just stay in the kennel. Uh, you know, it starts snowing at uh, 8 o'clock at night. You just stay there because you know you're going to have to go out and shovel a couple of times to get the pens clear for the dogs. Wow. Well, with that, we've got to take a break and go check out uh, check out and see how Paul Ruvier is doing and see if he's ready to ride again for the next load. So we will be right back after these messages.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an 
Texas Racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Yes, indeedy, and welcome back to the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. I'm Kathy. Your co-hosts today are Rory and TJ, and our guest for the rest of our show is Dennis McKeon, and we are talking fan mail questions. Um, well, TJ, why don't you, uh, I know you have a question kind of based on some of the, the fan mail we have gotten, so why don't you ask Dennis what you were uh going to do that okay well one of the um the the fan questions uh had to do with uh, actually the a, a two-pronged question and it was uh, concerning the the days or, or how greyhound life at the track is and i would like to suggest in going back and listening uh via the internet dennis's first uh time that he was with us uh it does explain a lot about the um day in the life of a, a greyhound when they're not actually on the track racing. But um, the other part of her question I thought was very interesting. She was wanting to know where she could watch these online since she was not anywhere near um, a track. So with that also comes um, obviously how the greyhounds are, are, are part of a wagering system. And there are sites out there that, depending on state laws, of course, how you can actually participate in a wagering on greyhounds online. Um, and and, and it's, it's unlike uh, what a lot of the um, extremists like to put out there. Uh, they keep saying that greyhound racing is a dying industry, which is couldn't be further from the truth. They're only giving numbers of live handles. So if now that I've, I've thrown out that term live handles, I, I think you, Rory, and you, Dennis, are probably the best ones that can explain what's going on and how that works and how successful Greyhound Racing really is as compared right. to what the num- numbers that... Um, some of these, I believe, Rory, you call them self. Well, I call them self-proclaimed animal right. protectors. Are well, saying just, uh, is it being a dying industry? I just wanted to interject real quick there when you you brought up about they claim that greyhound racing is dying because the handle at the at the actually live track, let's call it the brick and mortar, is down. Well, J.C. Penney's, Sears, other retail outlets, 
they're they're closing brick and mortar stores. That doesn't mean retail is dead. Retail is flourishing. People have just moved to a new way of purchasing goods. They're doing it online. Same thing has happened in, with Greyhound Racing. Yeah. I hope uh, nobody feels that we should stop printing newspapers because their circulation is down and people are getting their news from the uh, Internet because uh, that would be a bad thing for the country. Exactly. Uh, but I know um, with uh, when I was speaking in uh, at the Heart of America in June, uh, the, one of our listeners, uh, Trish. Hi, Trish. How are you doing? Um, she had brought up, I guess, she was um, having troubles trying to figure out how to do online wagering here in Arizona and did not understand that here in Arizona, because we have a compact with the various tribe, Indian tribes, um, our compact states that we will not allow online gambling via you know, the Internet and that type of thing to help protect the Indians' interests. So, but we do allow... Um, account deposit wagering via the phone. Uh, so, first of all, anyone who's interested, um, I would I would first go to your state's uh, authority that regulates racing in your state, and they will have information as to how or where you can um, do wagering. Um, they can also point you to the various OTBs, or you can also look, look if you're interested in tracks in Florida. Look there, and the track will have information on how you can do it. But yeah, I mean the wagering is is huge on on the account deposit wagering and other mechanisms. It's uh, it's multi million dollar effort and the multi billion dollars, Rory. Yeah, billions, yeah, big time. And Dick these Ch- people, Dick, Dick, Dick Champa did a, a study of the monies that are wagered through advanced deposit wagering, and and naturally we know most of it is on horse racing, but if even 1% of it is on dog racing, it's a staggering amount of money. It's beyond imagining. And I did want to get back to the question of where to watch Greyhound Racing live, and I watch it on Track Info, which is trackinfo.com, and it's a fairly easy website to navigate and to find the track with the lot. As the tracks are racing, you get a drop-down window. You can drop down and go to any track that's racing. You click on the track, and it'll bring you right to the races, and you see the races live. And if you're inclined to bet, you can, you can bet at uh, any number of sites. The one that has the most visibility with Greyhounds, I believe, is Big Jackpot Betting. And, uh, and I would like to interject, you do need to, t- to check with your states because some states do not allow um, the, the wagering like that. But there is also, for um, the track info, there also is an app that you can put on your phone, at least for Android. I know it's on there. Um, I have watched some races via an app on your phone. So since everybody's pretty much mostly smart smartphone savvy these days, that's a an option is to just go search on your Play Store and find the app and, and download that as well. And they also have replays on track info. So you can you can watch any race from any track that you might have missed. Exactly. And, and again, if when you hear numbers 
from people who claim to be protectors of the greyhounds. They're just people who are really trying to get rid of the greyhounds and do away with the greyhound racing and put hundreds of people out of work. They don't care about them having a job or not. Always ask, is this the full picture? Did you include the off-site wagering? Did you include the ADW wagering? They'll have to answer honestly. Well, they won't answer honestly because they have yet to, to, to do that. And that is true, Rory. Um, and, and Dick, uh, as Dennis mentioned, had done the study, and it is verifiable numbers. Uh, you can find them uh, very easily, uh, the live handle and the, um, the off-site wagering. Um, and I believe he came up with, um, and, and it was verified, as around $750 million plus dollars uh, for just the Greyhound racing. And uh, that's pretty easily done whenever you have a, a program or you can call the track and you can get the information about the live handle. And then you can also get the information um, about the uh, off-site wagering as well. So it's not, it's, they're not made-up numbers. Numbers don't lie. So right. whenever someone gives statistics and throws out numbers, if they don't do it properly... Um, they come up with some very skewed things that just aren't true. Well, some people we know are uh, PhDs at uh, taking context away from what they tell you. They love to report things out of context and tell you half-truths. Correct. No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And the one thing that they do, they, they, that does seem to get omitted in all of this is how much the Greyhounds love to run. But that could be another story altogether for another show. That could probably take up three or four shows. So, um, and actually, if you're wagering on a dog, there is money going right back into the care of the dogs. So That's that happens, helps yep. to sort of answer her first question because money, money that, that goes in for the wagering on the dogs the dogs have to be taken care of. They have to be in prime condition um, and, and be cared for in, in, in order to, to be able to do exactly what they do, which is run like the wind. Yeah. Well, you, you just brought up a good point. I remember years ago when we had the uh, Phoenix Greyhound Park here, and they used to offer tours on, I think it was Friday nights, for people interested in adopting a Greyhound. And I had <clears throat> taken a few friends to the to the track for these tours and i remember a couple of them mentioning to me after they were seeing things and watching they're like wow these dogs love to run they weren't being told by anyone these dogs love to run it was their observation watching these dogs how they were handled being and taken to the jenny pit and then being brought out and then loaded and then running they love to run I think that's, uh, that's something that's self-evident. All you have to do is go to a Greyhound race, and you can see that. It's, uh, the, the, the amount of energy and commitment they put into running and to racing is just mind-boggling if you've never seen it before. When you see that dog come off the track, and I know all you, you people have seen this, the dog's pumped up like a weightlifter after a workout. His muscles are just bulging. The steam is coming off their back. They're panting like crazy, and they got a smile on their face. They always do, you know? Yeah, and I, I think you've just got to go in with an open mind and 
also be prepared to ask questions. Um, my first time to a track, I would I was one that you would consider anti-racing. And I remember even over in California when I started asking questions, and I think I was getting a lot of angry looks because how dare you ask these questions? Because at that time they were putting out 50,000 greyhounds are killed every year. So I started asking, how do we know this? Who's verified this? And they're like, oh, this organization over here, they're the ones they put it out. Say, like, well, how do we know they're telling the truth? And then start looking into it. It's like, okay, it's just an organization that hates greyhound racing and they really have no factual data. So I can't believe this number. Then I went and visited a track over here. I was at the time living in California, came to Phoenix and visited tracks and it's like okay everything i had been told i now can see was pretty much incorrect and i will have to agree with dennis when they come off of the track they are grinning they are proud you can see it uh it's it's just plain as day and there's plenty of um of photos and videos and, and things of that nature out there showing that very same thing. There's a lot of, of those photos on social media. And it, it, they prance almost off the track. It's, it's amazing to watch them. Uh, they do prance off the track. They're very proud of themselves at the, at the end of the race. And it, and it doesn't matter where they, they wind up, whether they are coming first or if they come in eighth. Um, and you've got to keep in mind, and Dennis, you can be a little more specific about that, but there are just literally milliseconds most of the time between uh, first and eighth. Um, that's, that's something that the reader probably would, would enjoy hearing a little bit about, if you could just yeah, quickly tell us. The difference between a, a world-class greyhound and a greyhound who's ready for a couch is about just a little less than a second over a distance of 550 yards in a race that lasts 30 seconds. So think about that's that. That's amazing. That's how. Yeah. They say, that's just uh, amazing. They describe sports as a game of inches. Uh, this, this game is, if baseball's a game of inches, football's a game of inches. Well, greyhound racing is a game of nanoseconds. The difference between a, a world-class racer in the first eighth, uh, uh, first eighth of a mile and a dog who's ready for a couch is about seven hundredths of a second you know that's that's just amazing it's amazing so that people whenever when they do adopt a greyhound they need to understand they still have an extremely fast (laughs) fast yes animal uh, coming in as a pet wow right the slowest greyhound in the country is an amazing athlete when you compare them to the rest of the canine population (laughs) they're they're phenomenal Okay. 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 I'm I'm pretty slow. So can I say I'm a phenomenal athlete? I don't know. I heard you're a pretty good golfer. <laughs> Some days. <laughs> well, you, you brought up that nanosecond. I know one of the questions that our fan had was, um, what would be the reason they would move to a different track? And could it be because of just a, a couple of nanoseconds that they might be moving to another track? Well, yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, the the, uh, the differences are so fractional, they, they generally show up in the first part of the race. You know, and the, the first 110 yards is going to decide whether that dog's going to take part in the race or not. You know, because most 
greyhounds want to be able to see the lure. They want to be right on the bunny, or they want to be very close to the, the dog who is on the bunny. And when they lose lengths on a turn, or they lose lengths because they get jostled back, they can't recover those lengths because the game is so fractional. It is, uh, the differences are so minute that if you lose a whole length, that's, that's like a mile you know, compared to other sports. Whereas if you see a, a human runner get bumped a little bit or get elbowed on a turn, he can make that up. But a, a greyhound, no. There's just not enough difference between the top-level greyhound and the bottom-level greyhound. I mean, it's only in the, cor- in the course of a race, the difference is a, a, a second is about 14 lengths. And that's really not that far. I mean, you know, we're talking a length is three feet. We're talking about 42, 44 feet. That's the wow. difference at the end of the race between a world-class dog and a dog who's ready to retire. Man, that's... Phenomenal, isn't it? Exactly. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> now, are there it, it, any... It, it's uh, mind-boggling. It's, and as the trainer, it's your job not to screw that up, you know, not to lose any seconds, <laughs> any nanoseconds. Don't do something dumb that'll cost you nanoseconds. It's a, there's a very fine line. It's a very exacting sport. You know, it's, it's different from a lot of sports in that regard. Uh, well, it's, it's a are, very pure sport, I think, Dennis. It, 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 yes, it, it is. Right. There's, there's no other sport where the dogs, if they choose to run, they are going to run and chase. And there's nothing exactly. a human can do to, A, stop them, or, B, force them to do it. That's right. The, the, uh, the, the, the human element is, is absolutely minimal in, uh, in that regard. Once the race begins, there's nothing you can do. And then whether the dog's going to race or not, it's entirely up to him. And if he doesn't feel well that night or he's just having a bad night, he doesn't run well. Yeah. And, but and, uh, your job as the trainer is to keep them interested. Keep them interested and keep them healthy. And if you do that, you're going to be successful. It's not easy to do it, but you're going to be a highly successful trainer if you can keep them healthy and interested. Well, and isn't that ba- the basics of a good pet owner? You are there to keep yes, your, your dog active and, and stimulated and, and care for them. So, in essence, it's just you, uh, a racer, when they retire, goes to a new care, caregiver, if you will, um, whether right. it's a trainer whether it's a, a just an average person who loves their pets, um, your goals are the same because your reasons are to take care of that greyhound the best way you can. And you want to keep them as free of external and internal stresses as you can. That's uh, unstressed greyhounds, stress-free greyhounds are happy greyhounds, and happy greyhounds are good competitive greyhounds. They'll give you yeah. everything they have every single race. That's one thing about greyhounds. And it brings up a good point, um, Dennis, is to, to are greyhounds in retirement solely couch potatoes, as we hear? Well, they, they shouldn't be. I mean, uh, any dog that sleeps for 23 hours a day, there's something wrong. There's something missing in that dog's life. No animal wants to sleep for 23 hours a day. You've got to get them out there, get them moving, get them interested in something, even if it's just going around the neighborhood sniffing things. But you got to get the dog up and moving around. Any any dog can be turned into a bored, unmotivated, sedentary, and maybe even depressed animal if you don't meet them halfway. 
and, and, and provide some sort of outlet for them to uh, either express themselves or to uh, interest themselves. You can't just let a dog lay around all the time. I mean, it, yes. if you've ever owned a terrier, you know that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I own terriers now, and you can't let them lay around. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just... Uh, Kathy had pointed me to a post um, that I was just reading, and this person was ha- is having problems with their dog. And I was like, media can see this dog is stressed out, and the person's just not wanting to observe that that their their dog has a problem. But I know we're just uh, we're up against the three minute mark, and I did want to bring up one of the questions the uh, the fan had uh, was was about. Um, how to get involved and maybe even purchase their dog. And I just do want to let everyone know we are going to look at maybe getting uh, uh, Mr. Bob Crossland and uh, John Parker on one of these shows to talk about how to um, get involved in purchasing a dog. I know, TJ, um, I believe you've you've done it. Um, and so we'll want to hear your perspective of how what well, the whole process you went through to get, get involved in doing these type of things. Okay. Uh, well, I'm... I'm typically here when needed. Yeah. <laughs> I think Crossland is the guy. Crossland is the guy you want to talk to. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's got, I mean, he, you, every day I see somebody, uh, you scroll down through your, my Facebook feed, and there's five or six people who had winners that, uh, of dogs that Bob Crossland raised for them and got them involved with. It's, it's, he's and these are, uh, many of them are adopters. Uh, by the way, and people right. in the and adoption community, if that tells you anything about the the way greyhound racing is, it's not some ugly, dirty thing. It's it's wonderful, and once you understand that, you want to participate. And those crossing puppies, the pictures I see of them, those dogs, I mean, big, fat puppies, they are just spectacular looking all the time. I've never seen a, a, a skinny crossing puppy. Those dogs are fed very well, and feeding them when they're growing up is one of the main things you can do to make sure they they fulfill their entire potential. And I think the hardest part. And I've honestly is be never been to a greyhound farm where I've seen a skinny puppy. They're they're all little roly poly chubby things, and they're just absolutely <laughs> adorable. Uh, you can't help but want to get your hands on them, and um, if you if you make yourself knowledgeable and have an open mind, you will be able to. Get your hands on one of those fat little chubby roly-poly greyhound puppies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, I think the hardest part is going to be... make sure you do it with be, your fun money. Yeah. Be, being uh, <laughs> informing Bob that the, the show is only an hour. But with that, I want to thank uh, Dennis. Thank you again for joining us today for, with a lot of great information. I want to thank Aaron, our engineer, Tacey, our producer, and Paul Ruvier, our in-house ruer. Everyone, have a great weekend and hug the hounds of the world. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.